Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Vancouver Eastside Vineyard virtual service for this Sunday, May the 24th, 2020. I'm Gordy, and we're so happy to have you with us, whether you're joining us on our Zoom call or you're joining in by YouTube from another part of the world or just a different time. Whatever context, be welcomed today. This is Ascension Sunday, and the Ascension Day of Jesus ascending back to heaven uh, actually occurred this past Thursday. That's when the church remembers the day, but it's common for churches around the world in this last Sunday of Eastertide to remember that story. And it often gets eclipsed, doesn't it, by the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, which were dramatic in themselves, and of course the day of Pentecost, which is next Sunday. And so often Ascension Sunday is a, relegated to a bit of a footnote in the story. But today I want to express uh, why is Ascension Sunday so important? I want to look at that question. Why is Ascension Day so important to our story? And to answer that question, I'm going to ask a question in a minute. And it's going to be a trivia question. So get your trivia brain ready. It's a Bible trivia question. But before we do that, why don't we start like we normally do by just pausing. And I want to invite everybody, wherever you are, just into a moment of silence, just to relax wherever you're sitting and just feel the weight of your body on the chair that you're sitting on or wherever you are. And take a couple of deep breaths. And as you breathe in, just breathe in the, the love and welcome and embrace of God today. And then breathe out just any anxiety or fear or sadness or joy, whatever it is, if it's worship, breathe it out. Do that a couple of times and then I just invite you to breathe normally in the silence. And as you do, just pay attention to what's going on in your heart, in your mind and in your body. And just know that wherever you are today, whatever you're feeling, that Jesus is with you and that he embraces you and he welcomes you. And so I'm gonna light this candle through our time today. It's gonna to burn to remind us that the presence of Jesus is with us as he has promised. And just to begin our silence. Amen. Thank you. So why is the ascension of Jesus so important to our story? And it often gets, as I said, relegated to a footnote, but we need to remember it today. And as I said, I want to answer, begin the answer to that question. It's not the whole answer, but I want to begin the answer with a trivia question. And the question is this, and you can't use Google, you can't use your Bible app, <clears throat> I want you to try to recall in the gospel stories the only time in all four gospels where Jesus actually calls someone daughter. 
Now think about that for a moment because you'll recall that that, uh, that this, this happened, that Jesus interacted with, with girls and women and blessed the little children. And of course, he was uh, very empowering and had some wonderful uh, women friends. But this is the only time. And I was thinking about this story. It was part of my Lectio this week. And sometimes when a story is a bit longer, I'll Instead of reading it three times in one day, I'll actually take three days in a row and read the same story. And it was about the third day and I'd gone out for my prayer walk and I was reflecting on it and I began to weep as I recalled Jesus calling this woman daughter. And the context of the story is, as often was the case, Jesus was very busy. He had just been away on a long trip and had come back. Everybody heard about it, so they brought their sick and their, their lame and, and the demonized and oppressed. And he was very busy healing the sick. He was uh, preaching good sermons. And all of a sudden, the ruler of the local synagogue showed up. His name was Jairus. And he cried out to Jesus in desperation, my 12-year-old daughter is dying. Would you please come and heal her? And you can just feel, he actually fell at Jesus' feet in desperation. You can feel his desperation. Now, I'm a father, and I have a daughter. And uh, I can't imagine this man's pain because for 12 beautiful years, he'd enjoyed this little girl and I'm sure she had daddy wrapped around her little finger. But here she was dying with no hope. And with her were all these dreams. She was about to enter to the Jewish bat mitzvah, which was the celebration for girls becoming women, entering adulthood. And Within a few short years, she would be married and she would give Jairus grandchildren. All these dreams and hopes were dying there with her. And so it was in that desperation that Jairus comes and he calls out to Jesus and he says, please. He was the only hope that, that Jairus had left. Come and heal my, my daughter. Well, to Jairus's great joy, Jesus, even though he was incredibly busy, he dropped everything and he said, I will come. And he was elated, and so they began to travel together with this massive crowd that was pressing in on Jesus. And uh, all of a sudden, Jairus' heart sunk to his shoes because Jesus stopped and turned around and almost startled, said, who touched me? Well, the crowd had been pressing in on Jesus, and, and Jairus, I'm sure he screamed inside, Lord, we don't have time for we can't afford this. Time is of the essence. My daughter is dying. But Jesus just stood there. And he asked again, who touched me? And Peter, exasperated, I'm sure, was right there with Jesus. And I'm sure he felt Jairus' tension. And he said, Lord, the whole crowd's pressing on to you. What do you mean who touched you? So Jesus elaborated. He said, well, I, I just felt healing power go out of my body. Who touched me? So the gospel writer, in this case Luke, fills us in a little bit as to what's going on. And he tells us about this unnamed, unknown woman 
who for 12 years had not been able to stop her menstrual cycle. She had this hemorrhage in her body. And can you, can you imagine having your monthly period, women, and just never being able to stop for 12 long years? It shook everything about her life, totally disrupted everything. Can you imagine the physical pain just in itself? Her body weakened in pain by this constant <coughs> hemorrhaging, excuse me. But then the mental and social and psychological pain. In the Jewish system, if a woman was in her monthly cycle, she would literally had to be quarantined to use today's language. She couldn't touch the, the utensils in the kitchen. She couldn't cook. She couldn't touch any of the common surfaces. She actually literally had to be separated and quarantined from the rest of the household. So she couldn't go to church. So spiritually, there was, there was an impact. Socially, there was an impact. And normally, women would have that experience for four or five days and probably welcomed it as a break because they didn't have to cook and do the common household chores. But this woman, for 12 years, and she was at a point of desperation. She not only was suffering in all of these other areas, but she was bankrupt. She'd spent all her money trying to find a cure. She was destitute and she was desperate. And like Jairus, she had one hope left and that was Jesus of Nazareth. And she said to herself, she had this, she was so desperate. She did the, the riskiest thing she's probably ever done in her life. And that was she decided in herself, she was gonna push through the crowd and she was just going to touch Jesus' robe. And in her heart, she believed that if she would do that, she would be healed. But it was risky. She was breaking all the social distancing and quarantine rules to get to Jesus. And so she did so. She pushed through the crowd. She touched Jesus. And when she did, she felt that she was healed. And she was so happy. And she said, now I can get away. I can be anonymous. I can get away and not even be known. But my life is better now. But Jesus would have none of it. He said, who touched me? And I love Luke's phrase because he says that the woman realizing that she was not able to leave unknown. She was not able to remain anonymous. That's so powerful. She came and fell at Jesus' feet and in the presence of all these Jewish people with their Jewish scruples and Jairus, the synagogue leader, a religious leader, she told the story of how she broke the quarantine laws to touch Jesus, again at risk of her life. And Jesus looked at her and when she told her story, she said, daughter. He said, daughter to her. He named her daughter. Now, she could have been older than him. She certainly wasn't young enough to be his daughter. He was a young man in his 30s. But he called her daughter. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Not only has your faith healed you, but you're no longer unseen. I see you. You're no longer anonymous. You're a person. You belong. You're welcome. 
you're part of me and this community. Wow. I just want to stop and savor that. That's just so powerful. What's going on here is this woman is now seen, no longer marginalized. For the first time in his life, he sees her and calls her daughter. The only time in the whole New Testament that Jesus called, that, that's recorded anyway, that he called someone daughter. It's so moving to me. But you know what was the greatest news for this woman became the worst news for Jairus because news came from the house that his daughter had died and they told him, don't bother the teacher anymore. It's over. And I don't know about you, but have you ever felt like Jairus? I sometimes have. Where it feels like God has time for everybody else except you. It seems like you get the short end of the stick. There's, there's just not a lot, not enough love and healing and grace to go around and, and you've been cut short again. I'm sure that Jairus was tempted to feel that way. And what Jesus said to him, he says to all of us, don't be afraid, only believe. And we know the story that he went to Jairus' house and with his disciples and the parents present, he came and violated the unclean laws again by touching a dead person. He took that little girl by the hand and he said, Talitha Kumai, little girl, I say to you, get up, wake up. And he healed her, he raised her up from the dead. 12 years she'd been Jairus' daughter. 12 years this other daughter had suffered this affliction of this blood. And Jesus loved there were, and healed them both. There was enough for both of them. So Gordy, what does this have to do with the ascension? Well, it has everything to do with Christ's ascension. And here's the reason why. Because this person that I've just described, who had enough time to stop for this woman who was marginalized and unseen and still had enough left, left over to heal and raise Jairus' daughter. He is the one who is raised into the heavenlies, who has ascended. And a, a, a Christian mystic once said this, God has had this longing from all eternity, and that longing is to be known. And the way that that happened was God created the, the world, the universe, the creation. That was the first step. And the second step is when God became part of that creation. And we know that happened at the incarnation, when Jesus, who was God, who was omnipotent, which means all-powerful, who was omniscient, which means all-knowing, who was omnipresent, which means he was everywhere at the same time, he laid that all aside and became a little baby in Bethlehem, and he lived as a human being as one of us. However, when God became human, he didn't stop being God. So the ascension is the reverse, where a human being, Jesus identified himself as the human one through his whole life. A human became God. He took on omniscience again, all-knowing, omnipresence, everywhere present. He took on all power, omni, omni, uh, omnipotent. He took it all on 
but he still was human. So it was reversed. And Jesus was the fulfillment of God's desire to be known. The writer of Hebrews said, he is the image of the invisible God, the exact representation of his person. John said, no one has seen God at any time, but the beloved son from the womb of God has made God known. This is our God, the one who forgave the sinner and the welcomed the outcast and the children, the one who empowered women, the one who said, overcome evil with good by loving your enemies. This is our God. And he reigns. And to me, the connection between this gospel story and the visible God and Christ's ascension has been so moving to me this week. But there's more. Because Paul describes Jesus when he rose from the dead. He describes it this way in Ephesians. He said, he who ascended, first descended. So he's talking about Jesus' descent. He became a human being, the incarnation. He who descended also ascended into the heavens. And then he says these amazing words that he might fill all things. Wow. For the first time this week, I understood why the disciples went back to Jerusalem with great joy. I thought, why weren't they grieving again? They just saw Jesus leave. Well, Jesus' ascent wasn't so much going from one place to the other, going from down to up. That's that's so God can help us understand in our finite understanding. But really, Christ's ascent was a change of state where he became the omnipotent son of God again. God, the second member of the Trinity. And the disciples realized that all their lives they'd known Jesus and he was wonderful, but he was limited as a human being. Sometimes they often couldn't find him. He was off praying somewhere. And he was focused on one person meant he couldn't be focused on somebody else. This is what Jairus experienced. This is what the, the women with the issue of blood experienced. But now that it all changed, he had now filled everything. He was in you. He's in me. They were in each other. It's why St. Patrick could say, Christ in me, Christ above me, Christ beside me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ beneath me, Christ in the heart of you. Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks about me. Christ in the heart of everyone who loves me. Christ even in the tongue of my enemies. Christ, how could Patrick say that? Because Christ has ascended. And lastly, the significance of the ascension is that everything is sacred now. Not only has Christ filled you and me, but he's every bird every tree, every animal. That's why St. Francis used to talk to the animals. He understood this fullness of Christ and all of creation. The writer of Colossians says that, that God put the DNA of Christ in all of creation, every single uh, creation, whether living or a rock, is enchanted with the DNA of Christ. He holds it together. Colossians chapter one, you can read it there. 
John chapter 1 says that Jesus is the Logos. It's the Word. It's literally Jesus is the DNA. His Spirit, who He is, permeates all of creation, which means that everything is sacred. And that's why I love talking to birds and animals and trees. My homestay students make fun of me. They, they laugh at me. But First Nations, my First Nations sisters and brothers, they get this, that Jesus is has filled all of creation. And it doesn't mean, of course, that we worship trees and plants, but God's in them. They're, they're permeated with the life of God. Like you and I, they're part of the creation, but they're sacred because the divine is within us. And so this means that everything is sacred and everything is interconnected. It, it's said that the early church, when they would consecrate the bread and the wine for communion, you know, we have this understanding that when we consecrate the bread and wine, that we are, are blessing it and making it sacred and holy. But actually, what they were doing in consecrating the bread and the wine, it was simply a reminder that everything is sacred. Everything is sacred. And we're reminded that all that we do is this vocation, this sacred dance, where what gives us the greatest joy touches the world at its deepest needs. That's our vocation, as Frederick Buchner said. Everything we do. I was walking down the street the other day in my morning walk again, and I noticed these barriers, these uh, traffic barriers at First Avenue and, and Broadway and 12th Avenue. And, and I was walking down Lakewood, and, I, and there were signs that said, local traffic only, watch out for pedestrians. And I was so touched by the city planners who recognized that during this lockdown, people were getting out to walk and down this bike trail to Trout Lake. People, in order to keep social distance, had to walk on the road. And I was doing the same. And sometimes it was scary because cars would go roaring by me. And I was just so touched by the sacredness of their vocation. The sewer workers that have been working for a year and a half here in Nanaimo, but they're putting new sewer works in. I, I thought of the water workers and the way that we can have drinking water because of engineering and design. It's all sacred. It's all holy. Everything we do is holy. And so uh, the only time everything we do, think about this, is holy. Everything you do, the most mundane things are holy and filled with the presence of God. Yesterday, as we unpacked our, our boxes from our garage, and we're still working on it, and our little granddaughter, Hannah, came and joined us. And for the first time in two months, I hugged somebody other than Kathleen, and I literally wept. And we, we'd slowed down, and our neighbors had come, and we connected with neighbors yesterday in a way that we haven't connected in 19 years of, of living here. And it was just the sense of everything is sacred. So dear brothers and sisters, the only thing that is not sacred is when we desecrate the image, when we don't recognize the sacredness of one another and we don't love one another, when we desecrate creation, and we don't recognize the sacredness of creation and we, we exploit it rather than loving it. And so I want to invite you to consider today, uh, will you live a life where everything belongs in the words of Richard Rohr? Everything is sacred. I invite you 
to recognize your own sacredness, the presence of God that lives in you today, that makes you a sacred reflection of the image of God. Why can we do that? But because Christ has ascended. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us.